The following episode of Livewire was recorded September 26th of 2015. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This is Livewire Radio. We're backstage right now at Revolution Hall here in Portland, Oregon, and we got a really great show coming up for you. Maya Forbes is going to stop by. She is a filmmaker. She wrote and directed a movie called Infinitely Polar Bear that you might have seen, starring Mark Ruffalo and Zoe Saldana. It's about Maya's childhood growing up with a father who was bipolar. Of course, her sister, China Forbes, also went through the experience. And wouldn't you know, she lives right here in Portland. So she's going to come out on stage and sing a song because she is in the band Pink Martini. So that's going to be exciting. Plus, speaking of siblings that live in Portland, we're going to drag my own sister out on stage, Liz Brooks, to have a battle between the Burbanks and the Forbeses to see which family is better at family feuding. All of it will be rounded out by music from Portland's own Blitz and Trapper. Oh, this is going to be amazing. We're keeping it all in the family, and it starts right now. From PRI Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire with filmmaker Maya Ford, real-life juggalo Dusty Ramone, and music from Pink Martini's China Ford, Blitz and Trapper, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, a man who's tried to escape his family, but just when he thought he was out, they pulled him back in, Luke Burbank! Thank you, announcer Jason Rouse, and I thank all of you for coming to Revolution Hall here in Portland, Oregon. We have a great show for you. Our, our theme for this hour of, uh, of radio is all in the family, because we have some amazing siblings coming out later on in the show. We've also got a person who has, in adult life, found kind of a surrogate family. That would be the fans of the Insane Clown Posse. We have a juggalo coming out later on in the show to tell us what that's all about. I feel pretty confident we're the only public radio show this week you will be hearing a juggalo on, and we're proud of that fact. We're keeping it all in the family here. I come from a pretty crazy family. I, I've talked about it a lot on this show. The thing is, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be in any family other than the one I was in. Like... I so did not enjoy the experience of being in my family as a kid. I wanted to be in a family that did not only eat out at restaurants that it had a coupon from the entertainment book for. <laughs> did you guys have the entertainment book growing up? Do you guys know what this is? My mom did not invent this, right? This is a real thing, I think. For those who aren't familiar, it's a big, thick coupon book that you actually pay money for, but then you get all these deals and the deals are pretty cool. The way the deals typically work is like a coupon for a Mexican restaurant. You buy one plate of fajitas. You get uh, a second plate of fajitas free. That's a great system if you're like going on a date and you don't want to have sex later. Um, it's a perfect system. It does not work as great when you bring a family in for the entertainment book special. So for us, it would be like uh, we sit down, my mom will have, uh, we'll pay for one order of your fajitas, and we'll uh, take the uh, second order for free, and then a round of waters, and we'll see how far this gets nine people. <laughs> and the more embarrassing thing for, for me growing up uh, was that my, my family was very religious, and we would pray before every meal, even in public. And this wasn't a quick, like, we're going to bow our heads and, and thank the Lord thing. This was like, all nine of us are holding hands and bowing our heads in this sizzler <laughs> right now. And we're going to be here as long as the Spirit of the Lord is talking to us. And, you know, I was at that age where, like, everything embarrassed me. So this made me extra, extra uncomfortable. And then I would go to my friends' houses, and they just, their families seemed so normal, and I longed for that. Like, their parents would, like, buy pizza even if they didn't have a coupon, or they would, like, listen to public radio. Or they had books not written by Jesus in their house that they had purchased. And I just longed to be a part of that normal life. And then eventually I uh, went to college, and I was the first 
person in my family. I was the oldest kid, and my parents hadn't gone to college, so I was like the first one to do that. And I move into the dorms, and suddenly I am living with a bunch of people who came from totally normal families. And they were the most boring people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and I realized that the worst thing you can do for someone's personality is raise them in a stable, loving, <laughs> supportive home. It's like personality napalm. So I want to take a moment to thank my mom and dad, Walter and Susie, wherever they're not listening to this right now, for making me the person I am one embarrassing coupon at a time. So thanks, you guys. I appreciate that. All right. Our musical guest this week is a huge Northwest favorite. They're about to leave on a nationwide 33-stop tour, but they're going to play some music here on Livewire first. They've got a new record called All Across This Land. Please welcome Blitz and Trapper to Livewire. Oh, 
Thank you. That is Blitzentrapper right here on Livewire Radio. All right, we're talking about families this week, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but some really fancy families, they have family crests, right? Uh, a little, uh, like a picture, an engraving, and then a motto that really sums up what the family is. But we, we don't think that that should just be for fancy or rich families. We think maybe all families should have a family crest. So we asked the audience here in Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, to tell us what their family crest might be. And they've submitted those, and we might read some of them throughout the show, including the Zwanziger family crest, which would be 20 clip-and-save coupons with a dragon-breathing dollar signs. The family motto, Nisi Sit uh, Pasakor, which translated means, only if it's a deal. <laughs> My mom might be a secret Zwanziger, I don't know. Also, a family that chooses not to give their real identity unless their actual name is the Phantom Blot, which seems unlikely. Uh, you'll understand why they didn't give their real name. Their crest, lots of empty, broken alcohol bottles and the smoldering remains of a political argument. That would be their family crest. So we'll keep those coming throughout the show. Uh, this is Livewire Radio. This week, our show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, featuring foods free of hydrogenated fats, artificial colors, preservatives, and sweeteners because, well, they're just gross, and we're going to say it. Sorry if we offended any hydrogenated fat lovers out there. We're going to take a stand on this show, though. More information can be found at wholefoodsmarket.com. We're talking about family matters this hour, and next up we've got an Emmy-nominated writer and producer who recently wrote and directed an autobiographical film at the urging of Wes Anderson. The film, Infinitely Polar Bear, stars Mark Ruffalo and Zoe Saldana and paints a picture of Maya Forbes' life in Cambridge, Massachusetts while living with her sister and their bipolar father. Please welcome Maya Forbes to Livewire. Welcome to the show, Maya. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, so, uh, sort of paint the picture of the time in your life that the film Infinitely Polar Bear documents. Uh, your, your mom has gone off to school in New York, and your dad is now in charge of, of your care, and he's somebody who's had issues with mental health. What was the scene at that point in your life? Well, the scene was, um, it was pretty chaotic. Um, and I wrote the film because I felt like you go through life, you always see these representations in film where they, of these perfect, you know, you feel like the families are kind of perfect or the, the rough edges have been kind of smoothed out and everything. And They're like the Seavers or the Huxtables. I guess those are TV examples. But those are TV, yes. The popular but, culture representation of the family is usually not, doesn't square with most people's experience in their own families, exactly. right? Exactly. And, and I felt like families are generally, they're sort of, a collection of extremely flawed people sort of muddling through together and, and arguing a lot. So um, That could be a family crest, too, actually. That's pretty good. <laughs> Forbes. Yeah. Um, so we, we, it was very um, rocky, at, but it was interesting because my father, who was bipolar, um, it ended up sort of being the old... I mean, he, he was not... A, I would not say he was a perfect father, but it ended up being a father was sort of the thing he was best at. Um, and... He uh, he sort of rose to the occasion in his own unique way. How old were you guys at this time, you and your sister, China? Uh, when my mother went away to New York to get her MBA, I was 10, and my sister was 8. What was an average day like with your dad? <laughs> an average day with my father. Um, <laughs> he, we would get up late. We would race, you know, we would run screaming through the apartment building where we lived. We were very... One thing that was, we were very, I feel like we were very noisy. You know, we didn't seem to recognize that we were in this world with all these other people around. It might be irritating to hear this family screaming out the window at each other. You know, I'm called the home in 10 minutes. You know, we were screaming a lot, racing to school. Um, then if we forgot something, he would, he, would, uh, he would go back home and bring it to us in school. I mean, he was sort of, he was really there for us in a, in a big way. Um, uh, then he would maybe go to work. He was for a while. He was a superintendent in a 
in a sort of abandoned building. I don't know why abandoned building needed a superintendent, but I think somebody gave him this job because they liked him and they wanted him to have something to do. Um, so he would do by fix things in this building uh, that nobody was in. Um, <laughs> And then he That's pick how us I got up. this job. Yeah. Then you pick us up. I've just been in Rev Hall for the last eight years. Eventually, they fixed it up and put a radio show in, and they're like, "All right, have that guy host it." <laughs> and then he would sometimes he he liked to go to the supermarket and get whatever meat was you know really like it was the last day uh, it was, and um, at, that it would be for sale, and he'd get that ninety nine cents a pound or something. And then he would make something actually very delicious. He was a very good cook, so um, whatever was in the house, he was able to sort of pull something together at dinner. As a kid, though, were you able to tell what was going on with him in terms of manic cycles and just where he was at in relation to his mental illness? I don't know if I was aware of it. We were aware that he was, he was overly friendly. So that was, that was embarrassing to us. He, was over, he always was trying to, to offer his services to any neighbor who needed anything, you know, beyond, I mean, people he didn't know, do you need a ride to the airport, you know, um, do you... God, I wish I would have met him. Yeah. <laughs> he was extremely helpful, but people didn't want that. You know, they didn't want a ride to the airport from someone they sort of ran into it saw around the halls in the apartment building. So, um, I, so we knew, we were, we were aware of that, but we... And we knew that he was. We knew that he was manic depressive. We knew that, um, but we didn't exactly know what. He, when you're a kid, you don't know exactly what that means. I mean, I certainly. The thing I really didn't know is when he was depressed. I didn't understand. I didn't know. I didn't understand that. But we, when he was depressed, it for, sort of he wouldn't be able to do that much for us, and then we were sort of had to do a lot of stuff for ourselves and stuff for him. We're talking to Maya Forbes. She wrote and directed the film *Infinitely Polar Bear*, which has Mark Ruffalo in it and Zoe um, Saldana, and. One of the interesting uh, elements of your family growing up, as explained in the film, is that you guys were really broke, but your dad was from a really rich family? Yes. <laughs> How did the rich family not end up helping you guys out more? Well, it was really confusing to be from this, because we would go, we were living in this, this dumpy apartment. It was filthy. We had these terrible cars that were always breaking down. Um, and we'd, then we'd go out to my great-grandmother's house. Now, it's my great-grandmother, okay? So she's almost 100, this woman. Uh, and she has a butler, and we always had the same meal of roast beef and mashed potatoes and peas and uh, vanilla ice cream with chocolate sauce. And she liked to play games with us, um, card games. She's very competitive. Um, <laughs> but uh, nobody in my family ever let you win. Like, they did not believe in letting children ever win anything. So they liked to play with kids because they... They could dominate. They could always dominate. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think she was, I don't think she understood really what was going on. I mean, she didn't understand mental illness. Th th that was still the era where they were like, snap out of it. You know, that, that was yeah. sort of the, the like, what do you, what, you know, can't you just pull it together? Um, uh, so I don't know why. It's sort of a mystery. I think it's a New England thing, though. I think it's a bit of a New England waspy thing, which is like you would give money to anybody but your family. <laughs> Yeah. Um, one of the things that's great about the film is the soundtrack is, is wonderful. And, and one of the songs on the soundtrack, actually at the end of the film, is uh, performed and written by your sister, China Forbes, from Pink Martini here in Portland. And we yeah. just so happen to have China Forbes here. Can we welcome China to the stage, please? Uh, we have got uh, China performing and helping out uh, admirably are the guys from Blitz and Trapper, some of the Blitz and Trappers themselves. So um, thanks to them. But actually, Eric uh, sings and plays on the recording of this song. So it's not just oh, by wow. accident. I see. I wondered how you, you learned the song that? so fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're actually on the song. Um, what are we going to hear here? This is a song called The Northern Line. It's a song uh, my sister gave me an assignment to write a song about a train. And when I was in London on tour and I wrote this song, inspired by the tube where you can take the northern line to get to Hampstead Heath. So that's where the title comes from. Together again 
China Forbes and fellas from Blitz and Trapper right here on Livewire Radio. We're going to have uh, China stick around here because, of course, this, um, this story that's detailed in your sister's movie, Infinitely Polar Bear, also very much involves you. You were the other kid living in that apartment in Cambridge. I loved this film and I loved the, portray- the portrayal of you two as sisters, but I noticed that your characters in the film were... Almost always, and in particular China, the, the young woman playing your character, you're always deeply embarrassed of and annoyed with your dad, who, who is bipolar and was raising you while your mom was in New York um, going to school trying to improve her prospects. Was that really what it was like? Were you guys really like mad slash embarrassed of him all the time? <laughs> yes, kind of. I mean, he was, he was great, and we, did, we adored him, but... Um, he was really embarrassing. You know, he would show up in these crazy falling apart cars to pick us up from school. He was always at all of our games and our plays and everything we did. He was always there. Being very and, enthusiastic. And, you know, most kids 
probably wanted that, but because we had that in abundance, we didn't really appreciate it. So um, it, it was, it really, he was totally embarrassing. And I would never let anyone into the apartment. Yeah, so that was a, all true. There's a, a, an amazing scene in the film where some kids want to come over and you guys are really, <laughs> really deep, or sort of briefing them going in on what they're about to see. Did anything <laughs> like that really happen in your life? Or did you actually not ever let anyone in the apartment? Um, I, Maya was way more open about it. She was, um, in ninth grade, I remember being shocked that she let Seth and Greg the two hot twins from the ninth grade class into our apartment. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're ruining my prospects. Um, Why didn't you want anyone in the apartment? Describe what it was like. It was, um, my sister, when, when she wrote the script, she perfectly described the way the apartment would get cleaned up and then there was a montage of how it got messed up again. Um, so it, it, it would, like, you put down a cup and it never moved again. You know, like... Papers, mail gets piled up. It never moves again. A dirty bike chain, you know, comes <laughs> to get repaired, and the bike never leaves again. You know, it just things never left again. And the apartment was, it was like a hoarder's paradise. <laughs> there were pathways to get, you know, through. <laughs> what was this all like for your mom, do you think? You know, she's, she's going to school. She's traveling. She misses her kids. She's coming to this apartment and seeing things like that. How did she get through all that, do you think? That's hard to know. I mean, she was, she was such a champion because she would take the train to New York, go to school all week, take the train back, and then be confronted with the, the apartment, try to help us clean it, do her homework on the train on the way back to New York. So that was her life. It, wasn't, it was not like a great escape for her that year, <laughs> that 18 months. Um, but I think she was used to it because she'd already lived with our dad. So she wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a sudden shock. Mm. But it was not appealing. There's a great scene in the movie where she reveals that she can't go in his bedroom because there are three bicycles in there. <laughs> you know, and, and, and he, he's like, oh, is that all it is? Like, you would be sleeping in my bedroom if I cleaned it? And she's like, well, it would help, you know. I would be able to, like, get in there, but... But, yeah, uh, I guess I would imagine a world where the reality of your day-to-day -day life uh, would be one thing, and then you'd go. You guys went to Exeter. Uh, I know you went to Harvard. Did you guys both go to Harvard? Wait, I went to Harvard too. Excuse me. Oh, you both went to Harvard. It's like I know Hold you it. went to Harvard, and the the little one went somewhere. <laughs> How do you know what we've been calling you backstage, China? <laughs> the little one. Um, do you think that your uh, much closer as siblings than, say, typical siblings because of coming up this way? I do. Yeah. We're like, she's sort of like my mother, but she's only 21 months older than me, which is really weird. Um, but she did raise me in a way because she, I think, was very mature for her age. And when my mom moved away, she was the closest thing to a mother figure in our apartment. And she sort of um, guided me in many ways, artistically and socially and every, in every way, actually. And, and if she ever, she was very bad with money, so she'd always leave her money lying around, and I always took it. China <laughs> and would? She ne and she never noticed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so glad you paid for yeah. dinner tonight. <laughs> I've been, I had to pay you back. That's interest on all the yeah. money she stole from you. Yeah. Um, this was a, you know, it, there are parts of the film that are certainly funny, but also this must have been a really uh, un, unstable feeling at times as kids to be in this environment. Now you're adults, you've come through, you have families of your own. Would you change it if you could? I wouldn't, no. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. I, that was sort of the, the interesting thing about the process of writing the movie is that by the time I was done with it, I did feel... Like, I felt kind of, I felt quite grateful for it, actually. I mean, I learned a lot of things along the way. Um, certainly one thing I learned was empathy and about how a family takes care of, you know, it's not always just parents taking care of children. Children take care of parents, too. Um, and I felt I'd learned a lot of lessons about just, you know, what it is to be human. And I also think we got a good sense of humor out of it, mm -hmm. which is the best. That's the best thing, the best thing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you guys are clearly a pretty tight-knit family, but, you know, I'm also from a close family, 
and I'm always bragging about my siblings and uh, my sisters in particular. So the Livewire writing team thought that this would be a perfect time to see which family, the Forbes or the Burbanks, are actually the best <laughs> at, I don't know, being the a family. The best in general. Right. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and so I would like to welcome my teammate for this competition, my actual sister, Liz Brooks, from right here in Portland, Oregon. Uh, so we're just going to have to share the same microphone, okay? Liz, h- how are you feeling, by the way? Are you nervous? I would be lying if I said I wasn't. <laughs> uh, you remember all those fights we had as kids, and I said I would get you back. Well, <laughs> revenge is the dish best served 27 years later on a public radio show. So, um, I actually don't know how this competition is going to work. I'm being serious. I have not been briefed on any of the questions. But we do have somebody who is going to run this thing, and it is our announcer, Mr. Jason Rouse, over there, who will explain things to us. Thank you, audience. China, Maya, Liz, Luke. Welcome to Livewire's Family Feud! Luke, you and Liz and Maya and China each have a bell in front of you. I'm going to give you a question. And our top three answers are on a card in my hand because having them on a board on the radio is pointless and it wouldn't work. Now, whoever rings in first gives the highest answer on the board will win the points. If you do not get the number one answer, the other team has a chance to steal for the points. Are we clear? Sorry. So this is just basically like Family Feud? You I think answer the question. You I'm ding the bell if yeah. you think you know the answer, yeah. right? Now, first up, we're going to have we're gonna have Luke versus China. Okay. Okay, guys. Okay. We surveyed 100 Livewire listeners. Top three answers on the card. Name a television show with family in the title. All in the family. (laughs) This bell doesn't really work. The answer is on the board. It is the number three answer. 13 people responded. Uh, Brooks Burbank, you have a chance to steal. Oh, I see. So if I can come up with something above All in the Family. Or your sister. Let's involve her as well. My sister suggested Family Feud, but I think that... That's a good idea, actually. I mean... Should we try it? How about Family Feud? That is not the number one answer. The number one answer is Family Ties. Team Forbes gets the points. Okay. It was a bold strategy, sis. I actually... I thought it was clever. I thought that was very logical. All right, guys. Liz and Maya, you're up next. Okay. Our next question. Our next survey. Surveyed 100 people. Livewire listeners all. Name a film or television show about a mafia family. (laughs) Forbes. The yes. Godfather. That is on the board. That is the number three answer. So you guys have a chance to steal. We think it might be The Sopranos. Yes. That is correct. That is the number one answer. Oh, yes. 26 people responded Sopranos. That means the score is Burbank Brooks 26, Team Forbes 13. You guys, it's getting close and it's getting interesting. Next question on Library's Family Feud. This is going to be again uh, Luke and China. Okay. Why were you so emotionally withholding to your sibling growing up? What? Is that the question? Is that the question? Why were you so emotionally withholding? It looks like Burbank rang in first. Oh, okay. Oh. I have to say that I don't think we were emotionally withholding in our family. We did not even know what that meant. I mean, seriously, like, to withhold anything, like a thought, a a feel, you know what I mean? Like, it was just not how we did at all. Really? I'm sorry, none of those answers are correct. Uh, number one answer, mom and dad had trouble showing physical affection, and that translated into emotional intimacy issues for me. The number two, I was only breastfed for a week. That one hits close to home. And number three, it's just a misunderstanding. This is what I look like when I'm emotionally open. Those all sound like answers from your life, Jason. Did you survey yourself? I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk okay. about it. I'm a live wire listener, Luke. Okay. And, and I, the last question on LiveWire's Family Feud is going to be Liz versus Maya. What excuse will you use to get out of Thanksgiving this year because you always find a way to avoid family time? Selfish. <laughs> Ms. Forbes? I have cancer. I feel like I have to give him some yeah. points for that. Yeah. 
So we're going to say that's pretty good. Liz, do you, Liz, do you have anything? Liz, do you have anything that can beat? Uh, I was going to say nervous breakdown. <laughs> wow. Uh, darker Which, than what we have. Darker than what we are, uh, our response is, we have, I have to work. Number two, I'm a vegan. Number three, I refuse to celebrate the domination of an imperious culture over an indigenous one. And also your stuffing has raisins. I mean, who does that? But I'm going to give it to Team Forbes with the cancer response. All right. Maya Forbes, Shana Forbes are the winners. Well played, Forbes. You're a better family than we are. It's obvious. Thanks for playing Family Feud on Livewire. Thank you to Jason Rouse, our announcer. Thank you to China Forbes and Maya Forbes. Thanks to my sister, Liz. That's the first and last Livewire Family Feud. Maya and China Forbes, ladies and gentlemen. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines with 80 nonstops from Seattle and this fall, adding Nashville, making the trip from the Emerald City to Music City just a song away. Or maybe like 100 songs, but that's depending on um, whether one of those songs is Bohemian Rhapsody, which is a very long song. Alaska Airlines, keeping you connected nonstop. More information at alaskaairlines.com. This is Livewire Radio from PRI coming to you from Portland, and we will be right back. This podcast is brought to you by ErgoDepot.com, who are not kidding around when it comes to making you healthier. There are healthier ways to sit, and they've got them all. Sit-stand seating, saddle seats, kneeling chairs. If you've got to sit, shouldn't you sit healthier? We sure think so. Find out more by visiting ErgoDepot.com. All right, welcome back to LiveWire Radio. All right, our theme this hour is all in the family, and uh, we've been talking a ton about families. There is one group of folks, though, who consider themselves such a family that it's actually their chant. They chant family when they get together, and they do get together each year at Cave in Rock, Illinois, for what is known as the Gathering of the Juggalos. Juggalos, if you don't know it, are fans of the rap group Insane Clown Posse. They often paint their faces. They love Fago Soda, and the FBI even says they're a gang which is weird because they also have a Facebook page, <laughs> which seems pretty ungang-like. That is how we made contact with a Portland juggalo named Dusty Ramon, who joins us now on Livewire. Well, hello, Dusty. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Um, I know when you got into the Juggalo game, you thought one day this will end in a public radio interview. Oh, my. Way better than, you know, FBI's most wanted list. So. Yeah. When did, you, when did you first have the sense that you were a Juggalo? Uh, well, first of all, I was 11 years old, and my dad died when I was nine, so I kind of came from not necessarily a broken home, but just not the best family environment, you know? So me and my friends, we would hang out and just, like, listen to music or just talk about whatever problems were going on. And it became less about, oh, let's just hang out and listen to music and more about, hey, you feel crappy because, you know, like, this, you know, this problem, that problem, your mom's treating you like crap, your dad's treating you, all the kids at school are picking on you and everything. And then we just got together and realized that we have a lot more in common than just, you know, digging the same tunes or whatever. So we just sit around, we chit-chat, we hang out, we're there for each other. It's like... It's more like a therapy session when you, you know, when you, when you hang out with other juggalos than it is just like sitting around and plotting terrorism or any crap like that, you know? So like, let's just get that out of the way right now. Are you guys a gang? No, I've, I've been a juggalo since I was 11 years old. I've hung out with juggalos my entire life. I've never once done anything even remotely close to burglary, theft, or any, like anything even remotely illegal, save for maybe smoking a little weed. But I mean, come on, you know? Yeah. It's, it's hard not to smoke weed when you grow up in a really broken home and everybody around you is treating you like crap because you like music or you like to paint your face up. It's not good. And when you find other people that know how you feel, that you don't have to explain your actions or explain who you are to or like apologize or anything, you can just feel comfortable. Yeah. I don't see a problem with that. And yeah. the fact that we listen to music or the fact that we dress up a little weird like this or whatever, who gives a crap as long as we're not out actually causing harm to other people? Yeah. You know what I mean? What? Thank you. That's, that's always been my mantra is to just like, so long, you can do anything you want to do so long as you don't negatively affect one other person. You well, know let, I mean? me, let me um, ask about some of the misconceptions about Juggalos. Please because do. I know here in Portland, 
there have been, there's been some tension between different neighborhoods, people feeling like juggalos uh, are coming in the neighborhood and doing this or that. Again, we mentioned the FBI uh, has claimed that juggalos are a gang, which is amazing because it essentially means there's a court case somewhere, which is FBI versus Shaggy, Too Dope, and Violent J. Yeah, it's the Supreme which, Court, if I'm not mistaken. Which are the guys who are actually the insane clown posse. Yeah, what it, don't people understand about the juggalo family? All right, well, I can kind of break it down into... There's basically two types of juggalos and juggalettes, you know. Okay. There's juggalettes ones, would be the female juggalos. Yeah, the, the female juggalos who, you know, and everybody, you know, male or female, respect them, you know, or if they're in between or whatever, whatever gender they are, you respect who they are you know, as right. a person. But you got two types of juggalos and juggalettes. You got the kind like me who dress and look really flipping outrageous, and people constantly think like, oh, this person's going to do something bad. Just look at the, the demeanor and look at the hair and look at the, the cigarette and just... All this junk, they pick apart your attire. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the other side of it, which is just like uh, the juggalos who dress in like the baggy clothes. And basically they kind of look like gang members because they're wearing bandanas and all that, just the flashy whatnot. And so people are just giant misconceptions that, oh, because we've adapted a culture or feel comfortable dressing a certain way that we're, you know, things like gangbangers or whatever. Like my cousin wears really baggy clothes and stuff. And I said before I came from a broken home. Not like really horrible, but we were kind of poor. So our clothes weren't baggy to be in style. They were baggy because they were hand-me-downs. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was wearing my old man's shorts to school, and they're like hanging down almost to my knees. It's not trying to fit in. It's just trying to wear something so I don't get in trouble for being naked. <laughs> the reason that we thought about talking to Juggalos when we're talking about families is because you guys have a cheer yeah. family. That's like the chant when Juggalos yeah. get together. Family. Family. Yeah, exactly. Do you feel like the Juggalos are actually your family? I feel like this. I've met juggalos all over the country, all over the world, you know, through like social media and stuff. I feel like I could go to any one of their houses or any of their countries or whatever they're at, and I would be safe. I could leave my money out on the table, wouldn't have to worry about them stealing from me. I could lay down and sleep without worrying about them stabbing me or kicking me or anything like that. I feel safe because I know that they've went through the same crap that I've went through, and they're sick of seeing that and sick of feeling like that. So they don't want other people that they know has felt like that to continue to feel that way. They want to, you know... Like, just hold a hand out to help somebody up when they're down. You know, you got a broken yeah. leg. Let me help you up and get you to a hospital, man. Let's take care of this, you know? Stop trying to stomp each other when you're down and kick each other when you're down. Help each other up, man. And not just juggalos. Like, all people should do that to each other. <laughs> what, um... Be- before we let you go, what's your favorite Insane Clown Posse song and why? Well, it's got to be the song I heard when I was 11 years old. And I'll kind of give you just a small backstory. I won't run on forever. What's the song called? The, the song is called Bugs on My Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, continue. So when I was 11, my best friend's like, hey, Dustin, you got to hear this song. And I'm like, what's up? And he's like, it's called Bugs on My Nuts. And I was like, you know, that sounds like an STD. Thing. He's like, dude, it's way better than that. So we listened to the song. And now... <laughs> Probably the wrong choice of words, but you know. But now I can't walk down the street without singing you know, "Bugs on my." And it's just really catchy. If you haven't heard it, I would suggest looking it up. I'm not gonna sing. I'm not a singer. There's no way on well, earth you could ever get me to do that. Well, if someday we have a chance to have insane clown posse on the show, we will request "Bugs on My Nuts." Dusty Ramone, actual real life juggalo. Thank you for being on the show, man. All right, this is Livewire Radio. Here we are uh, near the end of the show, but we do have another couple of uh, family crests that we want to share with you. These were uh, suggested by our listeners for their family crest, and the um, Tillmans said uh, their family crest would be uh, abject silence and unhealthy eating habits. (laughs) I don't really know how you... (laughs) Boy, Tillman's got problems. Number two is mom chain-smoking while lecturing on healthy living habits. Number three was dad yelling at Little League umpires while mom yells at him. There's a lot going on for the Tillmans. Um, <laughs> the, uh, it looks like the Bourdon family, or Borden family, uh, their crest would be a bunch of laughing siblings around a ping pong table, way too high to return serve. <laughs> I want to go to their house this Thanksgiving. All right, one more family crest here. This one... They didn't put their name down, which, again, may be, um, may be uh, intentional. Their family crest, just an old man looking disappointed, with the words, 15 generations of hard workers halted by the invention of Internet pornography. <laughs> name withheld. <laughs> <laughs> 
for obvious reasons. All right. <laughs> Once again, please welcome Blitzen Trapper to the stage. That's Blitz and Trapper right here on Live Wire Radio. And that is our show. Thank you so much. All right, thanks. All right, okay, I got to record these. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Another edition of Live Wire in the books. Man, that was a blast. Hold on. We got a dog in the green room. We let Dooley out. All right, thank you. Maybe, speaking of family, we, maybe we need to have more family on the show because that was totally fun 
Uh, a big thanks, by the way, to Maya Forbes, China Forbes, Blitzen Trapper, and uh, my very own sister, Liz Brooks, for helping make all of that possible. Uh, we also got help, of course, as always, from New Belgium Brewing Company, which is one of our wonderful sponsors. Also, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines, plus accommodations for our Portland guests, generously provided by the folks over at the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is our executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hommeister is our head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is a producer. He's also a member of our house band, along with Jonathan Newsom, Dave Jorgensen, and Ben Landsverk. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone and Sean McGrath. Laura Haddon is our marketing manager. Laura Masterson is our operations manager. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound is by Mr. D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Meyer Memorial Trust, and the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you find beautiful people. For more information about our show or how you can become a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org, or you can always download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, just about anywhere you pick up your podcasts at. Also, check us out on Facebook at Livewire Radio. Whew. There's a lot of credits to get through, but we did it, folks, and we will be back next week. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll see you then. PRI Public Radio International.